0: The Biggest Week in Geekdom is finally here. It's episode 223 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, and the reason I'm talking so softly is because it's the wee hours of the night here at San Diego Comic-Con 2018. I'm at the hotel room here in San Diego trying not to wake up my neighbors, but I still wanted to bring you the show this week because it's the first of our two-parter for San Diego Comic-Con, so this is going to cover Wednesday and Thursday. Next week's show is going to cover everything else, but I've got some great guests for you this week. Sam Humphreys is going to join me to talk about a brand new Image Comics series that he has coming up called Blackbird and some other stuff. Then we're going to talk to Stern Pinball, yes, once again, from San Diego Comic-Con. We talked to them last year. This time, we're going to talk to Director of Marketing and Pinball Wizard himself, Zach Sharp, about what's going on on with Stern and what they have going on at the con if you're still here and also going to round things out with the infidel creative team from Image Comics, Pornsec, Pichichot, Aaron Campbell and even Jose Valorubia, colorist and editor joins me as well to talk about that book. There's so much to get to. Going to be talking about some nerd news and trailers as well but up next let's talk to Sam Humphreys. It's what we're reading on the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
2: This is Jody LaHoop and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
0: San Diego Comic Con 2018. One of the things I love about coming here is getting to hang out with great guys like this. It's a an name you'll remember from a show long ago. It's writer Sam Humphreys. Sam, what's up, buddy?
1: Hey, I'm chilling. How you doing?
0: Pretty good, man. are no. you,
1: like, like, hanging out here at the show? Like, we're not in a sterile white room in the middle of the, the image. Booth. Well, at least
0: the lights are on in here. That's the one true. I did before, the oh, lights really? weren't on at there all. So there were no lights? Oh, well, it was talking about infidels, so it had to be creepy. Oh, it, of course. It makes yeah, sense. Yeah. It's keeping the family.
1: I mean, I, I wish we were like, having beers back here, but. Uh, uh,
3: you know. It is
1: like before noon for a another time 15 for them. minutes. It's
0: before noon on the West Coast. That's right. Oh, good <laughs> call.
1: Good
0: call. Where are you looking at <laughs> I'm on the East Coast. I'm from Virginia, so Virginia. it's. Virginia? Okay. It would be a lot later, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, you've been working with a lot of licensed properties and characters lately. Sure, What's yeah. it like to kind of do something more creator-owned like Blackbird and get into things with Image?
1: I mean, it's great. I, I love developing new stuff. I love working with existing properties. Uh, I, I also announced a new creator-owned book yesterday.
0: Yes, you yes. did. Congratulations. Thank you very that. much.
1: Yeah. Goliath Girls. Yeah, looking forward to that
0: is, on Comixology.
1: Uh, it's already out. You don't have to look forward to it It's already available
0: Well see but I have it ready Oh gotcha So I have to look forward to it At some point But I mean you guys Go get it now
1: Exactly (laughs) It's uh, available on Comixology and Amazon Uh, And we made history With the book Goliath Girls Is the very first English language comic To be translated And published Simultaneously in Japan Wow We've had that With uh, comics coming from Japan Uh, But this is the first time We're bridging the gap In the other direction Nice, yeah. nice. So, yeah. I, I, I love doing both. I, I, you know uh, the, Blackbird was, has been a fantastic experience in developing a concept from scratch between myself and co-creator Jen Bartell. Uh, the, the, the book is, uh, the ideas, the characters, everything about it came out of conversations we had together.
0: Awesome. Now, I mean, when it was first announced, Blackbird was described as Harry Potter meets Riverdale.
1: Oh, it's still described that way. Which is it's really still cool. It's accurate. Yeah. Alright,
0: well then let's dive a little deeper into that. If yeah. that's the case, then uh-huh. let's take Nina for example. Okay, okay. What would you say she is a cross between of those two worlds? If you could pick two characters from those two worlds, what is she a cross between?
1: Uh, she's probably, you know, uh, the, the our, our, our previous not as good tagline for describing the book was Harry Potter for people who can get into a bar. <laughs> so either you're drinking age or you're crafty enough to get a there fake ID there you go yeah, yeah yeah so it's it's a lot of you know, in the broad strokes there's a lot of things that Harry Potter is it's um uh, coming of age story it's magic it's just, uh, finding a place for yourself in the world all that kind of stuff uh but you know, we also wanted a, a lot of hot people kissing. You know, oh, we, that does not hurt. We, yeah, we 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 wanted uh, a, a slightly older characters trying to make it in the world. You know, like nice. early twenties, like what it's like to to try and figure out what your place is going to be, uh, all that kind of stuff. So that's that's what the, the the overlap is between those two books.
0: Now, I mean, when I think of beautiful people and three-eyed cats, I mean, how can you not think? Of Jen Bartel. Of course, right? yeah. I mean, that just goes Yeah, through yeah. Now, you actually said at Image Expo that Blackbird is a book that could only exist when you guys collaborate. Absolutely.
1: It, it, it's only a book that could exist in the Venn diagram between my, myself and Jen. And that's because this book did not exist before we started talking together. This was a fresh idea that came out of discussions that we had when we were just friends talking about what we loved about comics, what we wanted to see more of in comics, what we wanted to see at all in comics, uh, and those uh, those conversations evolved until before we knew it, we were talking about a book, doing a book together. And I said, "Well, Jen, what do you what do you want to draw?" And she was talking about um, magic and uh, spectacle, you know, ma- big magical spectacles and demons and spirits and all that kind of stuff. She's talking about. Uh, Neon-drenched cityscapes. She was talking about beautiful people flirting with each other, yeah. and you know, like, and, and we're talking, and it's all like coming together in my head. I was like, damn, like this is a comic I would buy, mm-hmm. uh, much less write. You know what I mean? And, and that's that's how black. That's why Blackbird is the way it is. That's why it is beautiful people and three-eyed cats because this book only exists with the two of us together.
0: Now, you guys actually decided to set the book in L.A., so that seems like an obvious choice, but oftentimes the cities become characters themselves in the stories. Is that the case with Blackbird? Yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean, uh, it's it's an obvious choice because it's the second biggest city in America, but Jen was born there. I live there, um, so we both have a strong connection in the city, um, and it's... We have a whole history of magic in this book that goes back a thousand years, and there's a lot of specific reasons why magic has flourished in Los Angeles and not other places, why it's flourished the way it has in Los Angeles and other places. A lot of Los Angeles history has informed the backstory of Blackbird, whether it's... um, the, the aqueduct bringing, bringing water to Los Angeles, or the, the, the gangs versus uh, LAPD in the 40s and the 50s, a studio system of Hollywood. All those things really come into play, and then we've also figured out the ways in which magic has influenced and deformed the history of Los Angeles. Now, and then on top of that, there's just so much beautiful things in Los Angeles to draw beautiful things in our eyes, you know, like alleyways, neon drenched cityscapes, you know what I mean? Like, we're not showing you Los Angeles you've seen a million times in postcards, we're like digging deep. Nina lives in North Hollywood, Uh, there's a lot of like landmarks that we're playing with in North Hollywood uh, that a lot of people who don't live there may have never seen before.
0: Now, Sam, I know you're busy, so before I let you go, I wanted to All give right. you one more here. We already give know, me. even before reading issue one, yeah. is that Nina does know that magic does exist, and that's yes. going to be a part of it. So, I mean, it'd be easy for me to ask you something like, you know, what would you
1: do if magic existed? Right. Let's do let's do something different. Okay.
0: What's the last thing you would want to see someone do if magic existed?
1: The last thing I would, want, I would want somebody to do with magic?
0: Yeah, like what's the worst thing you could possibly think the of?
1: The worst thing I could possibly think of? Oh, man. I don't know. That's a long list. I mean, the <laughs> the, the worst thing, I don't know, would, would probably be to like erase everybody's free will or something like that. That oh, sounds pretty terrible. That is pretty terrible. Yeah, uh, but maybe something like, oh, you know, I, I, I would not want them to make every piece of pizza ever tastes like a fart. Oh, man, no, that's no just, pizza uh, fart curse. no, 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 we, we can't Please. have that, no, no. Wizards, if you're listening to me right now, Anything, do anything else, but please don't ruin pizza for everyone for eternity. That
0: would be terrible, and that would also be the worst Oreo flavor ever. So hopefully, oh my God, if
1: you are one of those crazy developers at Oreo right now at Nabisco or whatever, don't do it. Do not just uh, stop. Don't even think about it, man. Don't do it. No, not yes.
0: But I mean, we're definitely looking forward to Blackbird Issue One's going to be available this October at local. October October Fourth. There you go. More specific, October Fourth. Get that at your local shops or digital retailers, of course. Yes. Sam Humphreys, thanks so much. Thanks so here.
1: much, man. It's been great to be
0: back. As if that wasn't enough, going to be talking about pinball with Stern Pinball Director of Marketing Zach Sharp. It's up next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
1: Hey, what's up? This is Writer Sam Humphries, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
0: This is kind of becoming a yearly tradition for us here at San Diego Comic Con 2018, talking with Stern Pinball Director of Marketing Zach Sharp. Zach, what's up, buddy? How are you doing? Pretty good. Now, I asked Gary this last year and I want to ask you this, get your take on it. <laughs> so, right. what do you think it is in a world of devices and, and everybody's got their phones and tablets out? What is it about pinball that just makes it stand the test of time over so many years and decades?
4: You'll have to let me know if this sounds eerily like Gary or if it sounds like my own unique okay, answer. All right. but, Um, Pinball is something that can't be replicated. It is a physical interactive entertainment device. You know, a video game, something on your phone, while it's fun, it can be replicated versus pinball. It's something unique and fresh every single time you step up to it. So it's something that just can't be duplicated.
0: And for me, I think it's that I'm competitive with myself anyway, and do you think that kind of grabs people, too, and all of a sudden they're like, oh, I'm not letting that ball fall down the hole again.
4: I mean, you're battling geometry. You're battling gravity, and while gravity will always win, it's what you make in those moments where you have fun. And I've heard you're quite the pinball wizard yourself, so how did you get so good? You know, I I have my moments. I've been playing for a long time, since pretty much birth. And I've just, I've grown up around pinball machines and have enjoyed playing ever since, and now it's my job. If that's the case, then what was your first machine? I oh, know you remember. The first machine I bought was a 1986 Bally cybernod nice. First game I grew up around, I couldn't even tell you. By, uh, my dad's owned pinball machines my entire life. So I've grown up with 5, 10, 15 machines in the house all, all the years, all throughout the years.
0: So if you stop by the Stern booth, which is 501 here at San Diego Comic-Con, not only are you going to see the new Iron Maiden game that you guys have over there, which looks amazing, You guys are actually selling CDs and stuff too, so what is it about rock and roll and pinball that goes so well together?
4: It's just high energy. I mean pinball, music, I mean you can't beat that combination. But we also have games in the Star Wars booth, so people who are big Star Wars fans go to the Star Wars booth and we have even more games in the pinball lounge. Do you get requests for certain properties or certain stuff? Like you get to make this a pinball a pinball machine. Is there anything what's the most popular request that you usually get? Um you know what? Every licenser is different. Sometimes we go after them for a game and other times they come to us. Um, we recently did this private label game, uh, Supreme. I don't know if you've heard of the brand, but I mean, they're highly popular. They had a video released over 2 million views in a day. Wow. They sell a brick with their logo on it for $300. A brick that you can get for 5 bucks, they sell for $300. Almost sounds cause like cause the, of the destroyed
0: jeans that you can get with uh, yes. like, two like, things of denim there and they're like, these are
4: $200. But they they wanted Stern to make a unique pinball machine for them and they sold out in. I think they clocked it at nine seconds on their website. You're
0: a kid, nine seconds?
4: Yeah. And they've been reselled on a secondhand market. There was a one machine that went for $65,000.
0: I think nine seconds is probably my worst pinball game ever, Rick. Now I think about it, I think, <laughs> I
4: think that probably
0: sums it up about right. So you guys have actually got a tournament that's going on again uh, at San Diego Comic-Con this year. Tell us about that.
4: Yeah, so at the Pinball Lounge every day, if you stop by, we're going to be running a daily high-score tournament. And there'll be prizes, giveaways, um, live streaming of some of the tournament games, and just a lot of fun. So stop on by, meet us, play, play more pinball. And you guys don't just do the big machines either. You do
0: some apps and stuff too, right?
4: Yeah. So we have the Stern Pinball Arcade, which is free to download on your phone, and you can purchase more tables. So if you can't afford or you don't have the physical space for, you know, a terrestrial machine, um, you can play the virtual game, and you can learn all the roles. It's the exact same representation of what you'd find out in the wild, but in a digital format.
0: Before I let you go, Zach, I need to know what's your dream
4: machine? What's someday something you hope to see this? stern pinball name attached to. What do you want to get? You know, I'm under a strict NDA. Who's to say that we're not working on it right now? Look at this guy. I'm Getting all sorry. coy over here. There's my Gary answer. <laughs> that is a very Gary answer. we well, are be looking forward to it. What's the website again? For, oh. for- Sternpinball.com. Just making sure that we got all right, all right, it around here. The There's a lot of websites out there. But <laughs>
0: <laughs> you can even Google it if you like. Yeah. It's S-T-E-R-N for anybody that's looking for Stern Pinball. Yeah. Zach Sharp, Director of Marketing. Thanks so much for taking the time. Hey, thank you. If you're still at the con, make sure you play a little bit of Stern Pinball while you're there. They even have the Star Wars machines that are by the Lucas Arts booth as well at San Diego Comic Con. So if you're still at the con, go ahead and go check that out. Of course, you can always find them online and on social media as well. That's going to do it for this week in Geektainment. Up next, a whole bunch of trailers to talk about nerd news. We'll do it on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Lexa Doig from Arrow, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Who says nothing can happen on Wednesday and Thursday at San Diego Comic-Con? It is time for nerd news. and I want to run through these trailers really, really quickly, because I'm sure that you've already seen them on YouTube. Let's start with Titans. and You want to talk about a show That's gritty and dark, especially for Teen Titans. This show is friggin' dark. Yeah, we get an F-bomb dropped in there, but I'm not going to lose my mind over that. I'm also not going to lose my mind about how rough that Robin was with the bad guys, where Dick Grayson, he's clearly pissed about something, and he's got some anger issues that I don't know what's going on there. But again, this is the first trailer. We're going to find that out at some point. But it seemed like the trailer itself really focused on Robin and Raven and how Raven seeks him out to find out, you know, hey, what the, what exactly is going on with me? And then you don't really see where the other Titans come in necessarily, but we do get to see them. We get to see a little bit of Beast Boy, a little bit of Starfire, a little bit of Hawk and Dove. So we get to see pretty much everybody in this, but we don't really see how they come together. And I don't think that's necessarily something that we needed in a first trailer, but I mean, Jeff Johns teased the fact that I mean, Superboy could be coming, become involved in this show at some point. Lex Luthor it seems like the sky's the limit. He said the whole Titans universe is up for grabs. That's a big list. I'm not sure if da- Deathstroke's still going to be on that list, but that's a pretty big friggin' list if you ask me. So, again, I think as far as first looks go, this one really, really knocks it out of the park, and I can't wait to actually see the first episode of Titans. And again, I'm not really hung up on any of the kind of overly intense stuff. I mean, just because you see a little bit of blood and some guy getting beaten down doesn't necessarily mean that the guy's dead, right? So we have to keep these kinds of things in mind. Can't wait for Titans. Another one that I can't wait for real honestly, and as someone who's not a huge Doctor Who fan, and I know that's a mark against me, go ahead, tweet me and you know tell me you hate me, all this other stuff. But I really am looking forward to this next season of Doctor Who. And the female Doctor, Jodie Whittaker, I got to tell you, she really brings a lot of charm into this. And a a charm to Doctor Who that I don't think we've seen on this level for a long, long time. It just looks like it's going to be fun. And it's going to explore different settings and, and different groups of characters. And the group dynamic, even though we saw it for, what, like 45 seconds Looks like it's really, really good. So, I mean, I I like the fact that it's it's it seems like it's going to be a light-hearted fun, but there's still going to be plenty of action as well. This is the first time we actually get to see a little bit of action from the show's first looks. So, I, I mean, I'm I'm down for this. This is actually a time where I'm going to sit down and give Doctor Who an honest chance this time around and see if the uh, see if I'm going to be hooked. And I got to tell you. From what I've seen, if this is what they're going to do, this is definitely a show that I will start watching on a more regular basis. Here's something you can start watching on a more regular basis, because it's going to be coming to the Disney streaming service. And who knew that Star Wars Clone Wars, when they had their panel at San Diego Comic-Con, was going to be announcing a return for a seventh season. Yes, hashtag Clone Wars Saved. Is what they had up there. And, you know, it started, you know, the trailer started out innocently enough. We had some clone trooper helmets and we had some voiceovers of lines from previous episodes of the show. And then we get a little bit of something where you see Anakin and Obi Wan and trying to find out why they're being summoned. And turns out that I, I'm not going to spoil this. I, I know that it really doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things, but I just won't say it. I will tell you that someone's alive. That we didn't think was alive. And and that's really what we're dealing with here. So, and again, it's been, what, five years since we've had any Clone Wars at all. And now we don't really have a firm release date on this because we don't have a firm release date for the Disney streaming service anyway. But just the fact that we know it's coming is one of those things where it's like, okay, so Disney needed something to make a statement After everything that's been going on with DC Universe, I mean, say what you want, but DC Universe has ruled the headlines of streaming services other than Netflix recently. And there's been a lot of good stuff coming from streaming services. But, I mean, DC Universe hasn't even put anything out yet, and they're still getting a lot of attention. So, I mean, you needed to do this if you were Disney. And we'll talk about price points here in just a second but really quickly i wanted to go through some other trailers as well congratulations to the cast of impulse going to be getting a second season in 2019 we got a little bit of a teaser there nothing super super new but we do get to see that henry's more in control of her powers and looks like she might actually get some answers as to what's going on with her at some point but again not not a whole lot of new footage if any if you if you really want to say that, but it do, it certainly doesn't look like her life's going to get any easier. I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. But the one that really interests me is origin because it's one of those stories where you know it's not like this hasn't been done before. You know, like what if you could start your life over, sort of thing. This has been done in movies and in TV, but it's but it's it looks like we're going to find out why these characters want these new lives. It's a choice. ...that you make, and, and that's the interesting thing here is that it's, the, it's almost the power of choice. It's not like, or at least it doesn't look like from the trailer... ...that they were kidnapped, thrown in these pods... ...and thrown on a spaceship and decided to be shipped off... ...to a, a world that's just recently been colonized sort of thing. No, 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 this is a choice. So, is it because they're running from something? Is it because they just want to forget something? And that's why the characters are going to make all the difference... ...in this and how that bears itself out. How interesting are these characters going to be? Because if they're not interesting, there's no show. But if you can give me good depth of the characters without a thousand flashbacks... ...then I think we've really, really got something to talk about here. So I'm looking forward to what they're going to be able to do with Origins this fall. I think it could be really, really neat. I want to stick with the streaming services, though, and talk about really quickly... Iron Fist because there was different stuff that was released to the public and that was released at the panel. So what you've already seen on YouTube is you see Danny Rand saying, this is my city. I'm going to defend it sort of thing. Sort of like the Kevin McAllister of New York. This is my house. I have to defend it. And that's exactly what he's going to do. And you see him beat a few dudes down. There's nothing earth shattering except for him punching the ground. I mean, I guess that's kind of earth-shattering, right? So there's nothing that, that that would really make you say, wow, other than the fact that we know that it's coming out September 7th now. At the panel itself, it looks like we got a little bit of the classic costume that was revealed. Not sure how much of a part that's going to play in this upcoming season. If any, maybe it's just a little bit of a teaser. We know that Typhoid Mary is going to be coming as well. And let's face it, Finn Jones has really just become more comfortable in the role of Iron Fist and Danny Rand. It seems like every time we see Danny Rand on screen now, it's better and better. First, it was Defenders, where I was like, huh, I guess Iron Fist isn't so bad. And then it was Luke Cage, I was like, wow, that was one of the best episodes of Luke Cage. The one where they had Iron Fist and they were playing off of each other so well. Which is going to happen again in Iron Fist Season 2, it sounds like. So, I mean, I I didn't think I would say this after the way the first season went, but I'm excited for Iron Fist Season 2. I'm not exactly sure where it's going to go yet, but I'm excited to see how they're going to be able to explore what's going to be coming next and how much is Kung Lung going to be involved. And this is well, you'd think a pretty good amount, but only time will tell. Going to talk about one more trailer before we move on, and that's for Night Flyers which is on sci-fi. Now remember the first look that we kind of got at that it was kind of it seemed like it was going to be a kind of gory, gritty horror type of deal. Well, this look actually gives us more on the characters themselves and you see that they have family ties and ambitions and we get to finally find out okay, these are people and they they're doing this for a reason and the reason being is that there's a threat to mankind itself, so they're going to go up in the Night Flyer and see if they can figure out what's going on and solve this whole mess. But speaking of mess, is that's that's exactly what it turns into is a giant mess. So, And again, you don't really get a whole lot from the trailer, although I was in the press room for Night Flyers, and they were talking about it being very much a psychological sci-fi thriller, and there are going to be some horror elements and jump scares in there, but not a ton. And it is based on the novella from George R.R. R. Martin. So if you've read that, you already know kind of that, maybe this is a little bit of a spoiler, that aliens are coming. Not like aliens is in the movie, but aliens themselves are coming, but not necessarily too soon, according to the producers from Night Flyers. But I will have will have that whole coverage from the Night Flyers press room coming up on a future show. But it's definitely, the second trailer definitely made me more interested and watching Night Flyers than the first one did, and I think that that's a good thing. Really quickly, since you've probably already seen it, I do want to run through the DC Universe price point news really, really quickly. You already know what's coming. You know, movies, TV shows, comics, a whole bunch of different stuff that you can do with DC Universe. The year-long subscription, if you pre-order, which I'm not sure if it's just this weekend or if it's going to be extended a little bit past that, but it's going to be $74.99 plus tax when you pre-order. Now, the monthly price is going to be $7.99. We also know that now a Stargirl live-action series is going to be coming to DC Universe, according to Jeff Johns. The JSA is going to be involved. They're going to be co-starring. Could open the door for a JSA series at some point. So, yeah, again, we just get more and more stuff that gets added to the DC Universe streaming service. And I don't know what I quoted the price to be, what I thought it was going to be, on a past show, if you want to go back and tell me what it was, I guarantee you it wasn't $7.99. I really don't think I went that low. I think I definitely went higher than that, especially with everything that you're getting. So, I mean, I think $7.99 is a bargain. I think $74.99 is even better because you're getting like three months free. And I'm not, you know, this is not an ad for DC Universe. It just sounds like a great deal to me. As someone that's a DC fan, if you are, and this is a good way to really absorb... A ton of it. So I mean, to me, it just seems like a no brainer. So it'll be interesting to see what those initial numbers are, though. And if Disney looks at that, when they're going to be starting their streaming service, which you know is going to be more expensive, and see exactly what they're going to do and what their price point is going to be couple more comic items from the DC realm that I wanted to talk about before we move on. And that's that Liam Sharp kind of leaked out the fact there's going to be a relaunch of Green Lantern. It's going to be involving Grant Morrison, who's going to be writing it. And I think that that's, first of all, a great powerhouse creative team to put on Green Lantern. And what they're going to do is they're going to kind of ditch the whole apocalyptic ending thing they were talking about how we're not going to do 12 issues and then the world comes to an end sort of deal or could come to an end it's going to be like Hal Jordan Space Cop and I think that that's a neat way to go because and there was nothing wrong with what Robert Venditti has been doing with Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps but I think it's time to lighten the character up a bit and to make him Hal Jordan Space Cop I think would be great I I think that that was one of the beauty parts of Green Lantern's So often was that it was it was so lighthearted and it was so it was so fun that, you know, why not try and do that same thing with Hal Jordan, who certainly had a history of that in his character as well. So I think this will be really, really neat. Another comic that we know is going to be coming in November is a Shazam comic, and it's going to be written by, yes, the great Jeff Johns himself and Dale Eaglesham is going to be involved as well. Now, I mean, first of all, perfect timing. For when the movie's going to be getting ready to come out, you definitely want to you know give Shazam a little bit of a spotlight there. But you put Jeff Johns on Shazam, and that tells you they're taking it very very seriously. And I think you know Shazam's kind of one of those underrated characters, isn't he? they you you know that he's there, and, and you're happy when he shows up, but you never expect him to to be a regular part of an ongoing series. But I mean, if Plastic Man can get a book, and Gil Simone's done some fantastic things with that then you've got a good shot that Jeff Johns is going to be able to do the same exact thing for Shazam. That's going to do it for Nerd News this week. Up next, yes, we're going to be talking to the creative team behind Infidel from Image Comics. That's next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
1: This is writer Christopher Sabella, and you're
2: listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
0: (laughs) San Diego Comic Con 2018, it's so nice to sit in a dark room with these fine gentlemen. It's writer Pornsock Pichichot from Infidel, of course, Aaron Campbell the artist, and we have a surprise. Jose Valerubia, the colorist as well gentlemen welcome thank you colorist and you. editor by the way and, and, editor. and
5: editor well we gotta and get we that in some there. some well. light I mean there, there's
3: like coming in for it doesn't reach us down here <laughs> I but really, it is like coming in
0: I really feel like we're about to do a shady business
3: deal <laughs> yes, or something it's really true we'll do that off the air <laughs> yeah, because yeah, we yeah. don't want to reveal the details I, do, I am curious how much you're willing to pay me for this deal, <laughs> for
0: sure. now during Image Expo when the, when the book was announced you know you go through they send out the press release and they say here's the books that came out this one stood out to me the cool. most so talk about what it was like to actually put this story together.
3: Oh geez. Um, okay um, I mean, I've had this story kicking in the back of my head for like the past eight or nine years, it's something I would uh, noodle on on the side during my time as a DC, a DC Vertigo editor and then working for DC Comics, and then when I decided to um, you know, uh, go freelance and start writing I really wanted, because the world was becoming what the world is now I really wanted the book to come out and, and it seemed like the, yeah. what the book was talking about was so pertinent to the world, and and so I wanted to do it as a comic and my first call was to my friend Jose Villarubia who during our time at Vertigo uh, we worked together a lot and my favorite game to play when I was working with Jose is to call Jose up and be like hey Jose I got a new book greenlit and this is what it's about and this is the artist that I'm thinking of and because Jose knows like everyone in comics he knows all the artists in comics. he knows the artists in comics that you haven't that haven't even like drawn anything yet like he just <laughs> know where they are and where they're gonna pop up so I'm like Jose who do you think should draw these books that I'm thinking about putting together and it was my favorite game and, and part Coming back to comics was the uh, was the opportunity to, to, to give old friends a call and have an excuse to talk to them again. Because now that we're adults, that's what it takes to talk to old friends. You have to have work. as an excuse to talk to them. And um, and so yeah, and so we had that conversation, and I told him about the book, and I told him, you know, who do you think you should draw? Because this is who I'm thinking I should draw it. And Jose kind of came back to me with like, you know, as you know, I've always wanted to edit to be an editor, I'm a frustrated editor, so like I would love to edit this book. And I thought like that sounds so cool, and that was pretty much, We were off to the races from there and then Jose brought Aaron on board and I
5: think Jose you can probably talk to how you know you thought of yeah, Aaron. And her. I thought of I thought of well we did a lot of thinking and a lot of back and forth and you know Pornzak and I had a, a great friendship and a great professional relationship. One of the reasons why I wanted to do this was because Pornzak and I could always tell each other the truth of what we thought and we could always agree to disagree and we have a very respectful And very um, detailed um, way of looking at things, and I love his perfectionism, and I love his passion, and uh, and I love that I don't have to agree with him just to be nice, and he doesn't agree with me just to be nice. I had him as an editor for many years, so um, it's that's that's rare. Because people have frail egos in the industry and creative people are, you know, they get very, they take it personally and and, um, he knows that I'm not that way and and I know that he's not that way. So we wanted to find an artist that was talented enough to do it and that could actually, like, my main priority was that I don't find most comic books scary that are horror. I love so many of them from Warren Comics on, from Easy Comics on. But I'm not scared when I read them. I've never been scared, even when I was little and I was reading them. They just don't scare me. There are very few that have. So I wanted an artist that wasn't only just a good storyteller, but for the chops to actually scare the reader. And that's something that took a lot of thinking from our part. And I love that. I also wanted somebody who was reliable, hardworking, nice, and not a prima donna because there's a lot of talented artists out there, many of which I'm very good friends with and I work with as a (laughs) colorist. We can't be perfect, right? So I wanted somebody that temperamentally, um, just like Pornstein and I, temperamentally agree with each other, not just artistically or creatively. Somebody that um, would temperamentally fit the book. So if I was going to be editor, I didn't want to be an editor that pulls their, head, their hair in chunks because the person doesn't respond or whatever, which is something that all my friend editors go through on a regular basis. So um, Aaron came to mind uh, as somebody that I've known for many, many years, who's been doing an amazing body of work, who really uh, I thought could have much wider recognition in the industry if he had something that he could really sink his teeth into. And so uh, we asked him and he agreed right away and, and the rest is history.
0: I mean, we'll get to the scary part of this book here in just a second, but...
3: <laughs> and, I, and I want to piggyback on one thing that Jose said, too, because I think it's really to Jose's credit that Aaron has done a lot of horror, like, illustration, sort of on his own, but his comics work up to that point, there wasn't any. And so it really is a testament to Jose's eye that I don't think I would have had, ha- have had a keen eye to see that Jose could see the parts of what Aaron was doing in all his work and say, this guy really can draw scary. Even though he'd actually never, we, you know, he hadn't had any published art that was actually horror art at that point. So I really have to give Jose credit for that because I don't think I would have come, I wouldn't necessarily have come to that conclusion based on the materials that I had at hand. Um, and it, it really took an artist's eye to be able to see that.
0: Well, actually, you know, let's skip ahead to that then because I mean, I'm going to be honest. From the first issue, this book scared the hell out of me. And like, and like Man. Jose said, I don't get scared reading comics ever. So Aaron, talk about what it was like to kind of bring this world to life and actually the way that Jose uses the colors as well to kind of change the mood and yeah. the setting of certain scenes? Uh,
2: well, you know, it began with a, a basic idea of, of uh, the otherworldliness that Hornsack wanted from the ghosts and, uh, and sort of the weirdness of the ghosts and Jose wanted something that felt sort of preternatural something that was uh, almost photo-real Something that was could almost feel uh, uh, completely like part of reality, and so from there, you know, I started kind of conceptualizing, and that's where I came up with this idea to kind of fragment my process, where I have uh, digital process. Uh, com- Combining with traditional process, uh, I had been doing digital for the past two years. On like the previous thing I did was called was Felix Lighter at Dynamite, and that was completely digital. And I was kind of getting uh, feeling a little stale uh, working completely digital. I wanted to do something that kind of expanded uh, my the realm of possibilities. So. I had this idea that uh, there could be an interesting uh, analogy uh, or metaphor in the process where you have uh, the digital process which is all uh, reality. Everything in the real world around Aisha Medina and her family and all of the things happening in the real life in the apartment buildings, digital. And then everything that's incorporeal or supernatural would be traditional. And, and so by traditional, I mean like painted, multimedia, or mixed media, gouache, uh, ink, colored pencil. I was even using bleach and all kinds of weird experimental techniques. Um, really look into people like Billson Cavitch and Dave McKean and Kent Williams and the classics, the classic guys from the, the heyday of Vertigo, You know when they were really doing experimental stuff. Uh, with their process. So the idea then was that the boundary line between the digital and the traditional process is the boundary that exists between uh, or that's created by bigotry and hate. It's the thing that keeps us separate and so from there then I started thinking more about well how do we really want the ghosts to be and my idea was uh, ultimately what if they appear as they would have looked in the exact final moment that they were alive. So when the tragedy strikes, and uh, and and everyone is on the ver- like you know the the cataclysmic event is happening there's this very small infinitesimal moment where the concussive force of this you know, eruption uh, is starting to tear their bodies apart but there's still consciousness left and then right before that consciousness snaps off is where is how they would perce- would, would uh, appear and then in, in addition to that I started uh, we started developing who these characters were in life uh, what it was about their character that caused their psyche to persist into this uh, sort of uh, paranoia, hate-filled spirit, um, and then what aspects of those characters could I sort of build into the uh, look of the ghosts that would sort of express those ideas. So each ghost itself, like, ended up becoming its own entity with its own characteristics to present those different ideas. And, and then it was just a matter of, like I was talking last night, it was a matter of doing very disturbing reference research. <laughs> Want to see your Google search yeah, history, yeah, right yeah, now. For instance, yeah, yeah. weird tumors was weird one that <laughs> I had to look up, and that was a very bad night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, We're totally on a watch list for
3: all the research. That's the, a scary trip internet.
0: down Google Lane, right there. Let <laughs> me tell you. Now, you you mentioned Aisha, and I think I think one of the things you guys did really well in the first issue, right from the get, was to make her such a likable character right away, introducing her to Chris and the fam- introducing the family and everything like that. But it was her eternal optimism, that I think, really grabbed me mm. from the get-go. Now, would you say that is her greatest strength or her greatest weakness as the series? I, you
3: know what? I think I think that is the big, that is the question of the series. You know, that is the question that the characters wrestling through, the reader should be questioning. That I'm certainly questioning is is optimism, is faith, and idealism a strength or a weakness? And I don't know. Um, I, I, I personally don't know where to land on that, yeah. except that, and it's kind of, you know, the direction that the book goes to is that if faith and idealism isn't the answer, I don't know if we come up with a better one yet. Yeah. Is is sort of the is is the direction the book is reaching towards, even though it questions it all, all along the way. And so, so yeah, so that would be my answer. It's like it's what it's what Winston Churchill said about democracy, right? It's deeply flawed, but it's the best system we've got. Here you go. You know, yeah, I
2: I would say I would characterize it as she that all of those aspects of Aisha's character make her uh, incredibly vulnerable, but then deeply resilient because of that. And so it's it's what it's it's how she succumbs, but it's how she survives.
0: Now, the book, obviously, for the first several issues in this first arc, deals with some very, let's just say, uncomfortable at times subject matter. So, when you were... Getting ready to put the book out. What did you think the first reactions would be, and how did you respond to when you actually got the first reactions from the book? God,
3: I'll be honest. I, I had no idea what the reaction for the book was going to be. I don't. I mean, so much of this was it was talking from the place of this character. It was talking for. I mean, so much of this book is me uh, just laying bare sort of my insecurities and my fears about the world and what the world may be, and if we are discovering the world is a different place than we think it is. And you put that out there. And and you hope that people will go with you, but then you don't know. I mean, it, it's like it's the, the it's the world that we live in right now that seems like at every second things will just get worse, yeah. um, and and, and, it's, and somehow there's a left turn and something nice actually happens, and um, so I don't know how the you know so much of my faith in the world was built into my. Uh, was into the book that I, I, I didn't, you know, so much of that book is about is questioning if the world believes what the character believes and, and some of the things that I believe. And so as a result I had no idea what the response of the book was going to be. So as a result, the important thing to me was just to be honest to, in terms of what the themes of the book and what the characters were feeling and to give everyone to give everyone side of their story. It it we're talking about sort of the, the racism and xenophobia aspect, you know the new because the news makes because it is good business to tell the most sensationalized versions of stories, we get the worst pictures of humanity surrounding us at all times. Sure. So, And that's the stuff we have easy access to. So then, when talking about these stories, I wanted to tell the stories that we've seen a lot less, but at the same time still represent a spectrum of existence. Uh, you know, the, the 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 straw man of the, you know, the, the straw man of the Trump supporter that lives in the Hicks and all that sort of stuff, like, that wasn't interesting to me because that's you know, it is it is a straw man. Um, but the kind of racism and xenophobia and institutional biases that I see in a liberal society like New York, that is more interesting because it has more conflict, there's more ambiguity. And again, all that ambiguity and conflict, it lends itself very nicely to a horror story.
0: Now, one of the hardest moments of this entire five-issue run was the confrontation between Tom... And Medina. Now, that. how do you feel? How did you guys feel about putting that together? And there's a—I don't know if you want to spoil it or not. I'll leave this up to you okay. guys. There's a twist that happens at the end of that altercation
3: that I did not see coming. What was it like to do that as well? Ooh, I don't know if I should. I don't want to spoil the twist because because yeah, because cause it, it, hasn't like, yeah, it hasn't yet, been long so, enough. Yeah, it has been long enough. Yeah, yeah, But yeah. there's yeah. a nice little tease for anybody. Yeah, to yeah, yeah. There you go. There you go. There you go. By the way, I think that—I t- think that twist. If, I think that twist was Aaron's idea. It was riffing off an idea I had. I think Aaron piggybacked. Yeah, like, credit where credit. We're not going to tell you what it is, but credit where credit's due. Um, And that's one of the things I love about collaborating is the fact that, like, you know, you know you've got a good twist when you didn't see it coming. Like, when someone says, why don't we do this? I'm like, that's amazing. That totally sounds like the right answer (laughs) No one will see that coming because I didn't even see it coming. Um, So that is is that. Um, And then, um, you know, I think... The thing, uh, I I can sometimes I worry, you know. It's so funny, like when you're starting these stories, you're so invested in the characters, and then once the shit starts hitting the fan, you almost have to sociopathically disconnect in order to let the people be what they are, and then you connect just long enough to sort of be in those characters in in the scene. So um, to me, I mean, to me that scene, to me that scene says a lot, right? Because it's a scene that says this is the person. Who you have the two people who are at the most on the prote- on Aisha's side fighting against each other, very very brutally. But I also like to think that we've seen that it doesn't come out of left field because we've seen we've been prepping the reader for that aspect of Tom right. all throughout. And and it is an interesting thing. It is this thing of you know Tom is on the quote unquote right side of things. Um, for a good chunk of the book but 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 then you have to look at how he approaches it right with that sort of that that fervor that 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 lack of empathy for the other side that inability to sort of see what the other side thinks and hopefully that's what makes that turn plausible because you've seen that even though he believes what he should believe he's got all the aspects of being someone that, that could be an antagonist, even though he believes what, what, what we agree he should believe in. And that, to me, was the important thing to explore in, in, the, in, that, in the context of that dynamic.
0: You talked about people's insecurities, and we, and of course, the book deals heavily with racism and mm-hmm. xenophobia and stuff like that. But a lot of that stuff, and Aaron, I wanted to talk to you about this. It's it's not addressed in words so much as it's addressed in body language and facial mm, yeah, expressions. And Aaron, much. what was your process like, actually drawing that out of some of these characters?
2: Um. That's a hard one. It's, it's always kind of intuitive, my process, and I work with models, you know, when I'm doing reference, so a lot of it happens in the acting, the actual literal acting process where I'm directing the models in what they should be feeling, what they should be expressing, emoting, how they should be responding to... What is essentially something that's not there. It's you know even whenever I have uh, scenes with multiple characters, those are always shot independent of each other. So they're having it's like it's like doing everything green screen. Uh, and so, but but yeah, a lot of that comes from like interesting body language. Like for instance, Aisha, I actually use my my niece as the model for Aisha, and. Uh, one of my favorite moments is in the first issue where Leslie is talking about how she should teach Aisha her pork recipe that Tom loves so much <laughs> and Aisha is starting to get kind of uncomfortable because she doesn't want to say anything about her uh, halal same, yeah. you know and uh, and then and so she kind of starts to go inward on herself yeah. and that was sort of how I was working with my niece at the time you know Basically explaining to her, you know, the the way that you should be reacting. There's this there's this woman that um, you're trying to create a incredibly uh, like a a very tenuous relationship with, and you're trying to break through. And now she is uh, she's she's very happily without without any uh, bias or hate in her heart, talking about how she should teach you. this recipe because Tom loves it but you can't express to her you know how how you don't eat pork right and how like she like you can't find the words to to deal with this and to and to to to, to do it in a way that will be diplomatic and so you just start to kind of go into yourself uh, as you get more and more uh, withdrawn in your inability to express what you're feeling. And so like that was a good example, and then suddenly Tom bursts in, and right. you know everything erupts, you know, and he just makes it worse. So uh, it, for me, it's always about trying to like get into the character's mind. And if I can ever draw upon personal uh, experience, then I do that, and I try to express then. Uh, express it through, you know, things that I have experienced or seen or whatever. So, just like I guess, like any other director would would deal with with actors in that regard. Um, so, is that? And then in terms of the ghosts, the ghosts, it's always about just this this uh, seed of, of of hate that persists and how they want to, especially in the beginning, how they want to violently impose their death upon Aisha. So when Aisha turns that corner in issue one and sees what we call the Professor Ghost, uh, he, like, in my head I was thinking, he's not going to attack Aisha, he doesn't, he doesn't want to physically hurt her right now, he wants to violently expose her to his death and his torment. And so he stands there and forces her to watch him melt and die. Uh, and so those are the ways that I was kind of thinking and as I go as we go along through the book it goes less from them wanting to expose Aisha to their existence to actually wanting to harm her physically because it's just this it's just this steamroller. This snowball that's moving forward.
0: Right. Before I let you gentlemen go, and Jose, I'm actually glad you're here for this last question. Now, this book could really stand on its own as a five-issue solid horror comic, but, I mean, there's a little bit of an open-ended ending there, so there's certainly room for more. So, other than the film adaptation that we know is coming, congratulations
3: to you guys on that. Thank you.
0: Are we going to see more, and if we are, can you give us a little bit of a tease of what we could expect?
3: I, um, this will be be the teasiest of teases. there is a door open for something else, sort of, in the world of this this story. I have um, I have some vague ideas of what it will be. I don't think it will be anything like what people would think it's going to be, because it would. I it, 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 so much of the book involves m- what I personally believe in terms of what I personally believe about the world that I see outside my window and and how I feel about it. So um, to come back to this universe, this world, would involve uh, either the world changing a great deal, which means things have gotten much worse very fast, or me changing a great, great deal, which d- generally doesn't happen. Um, so, so I, um, but that said, so so it, I, I couldn't approach it in exactly the same way. That said, though, I do have an idea of a potential way I could approach it. Um, I, I could approach the ideas in there that I don't that I think will be very different and not at all what people are thinking for the book. But um, I don't necessarily think people should be on the lookout for that. There too soon. Although I could be wrong. I could the right circumstances could happen at this show and all of a sudden they, all the ideas would lock into place. But uh, but I do have some faint ideas of what the, the next thing could be. I think that it would be really cool. I don't think it would be anything at all that people would be expecting.
0: Well luckily your editor is literally <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right, right here. Right, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he's literally listening to yeah, this yeah, 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 yeah. right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and as a matter of fact, I mean if you guys don't have the single issues yet, don't wait. Just go get the single issues of Infidel at your local comic shop. You can even do it digitally. Trade paperback, though, does hit on September the 26th. Yes. If you want to get that and see. The the, the amazing covers is the first thing that drew me to this book, yeah. too. So, I mean, just a fantastic job. It's a porn Show, got Pichichot, Pichichot. Aaron you got it.
3: Campbell yep.
0: and Jose Valerubia, yep, yep, gentlemen. And, thank you so much for joining yep, me. Yep, and I
3: just want to plug real quick. The FOC for the trade, I think, is the middle of August. So, if you're interested you go, in yeah, copies, in yeah. let, your, uh, let your comic shops know. Because they never ordered enough. Absolutely. They yeah, de- yeah. certainly didn't know the series. So, definitely yeah. make sure there you go <laughs> they, make sure they are the trade <laughs> gentlemen enjoy the con <laughs> thank you thank, you, thank you. you
0: when i say that infidel was not only great but scared the living hell out of me i really really meant it i don't really get uncomfortable or scared reading comics but infidel was one that i definitely did you have to check it out single issue is available right now gonna have to wait until september for the trade though i don't think you're gonna want to wait though this is an image comic series you've got to be reading now that's gonna do it for this week's somewhat quieter edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast as I try not to wake my hotel neighbors here tonight. So make sure you're following us on social media at Down and Nerdy757 on Twitter and on and on Instagram. A whole album of pictures actually up on our Facebook page, Facebook.com slash down and nerdy, and always get us at down and nerdypodcast.com. Whether you're at San Diego Comic-Con or wherever you are, you never have to apologize for being a nerd. So let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds.